Pope Francis is accelerating the restriction and the, in his mind, possible suppression of the traditional Latin Mass, traditional sacraments, traditional bravery, traditional devotion. Why? We'll see today. I'm going to show a clip from Archbishop Roche. He's the prefect for the Congregation of Divine Worship and the Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, and other traditional fraternities, institutes, uh, orders that were once under the Ecclesia Dei supervision are now under two congregations. And for liturgy, it's Congregation for Divine Worship. We're going to see a clip from Archbishop Roche. And essentially, he is revealing that he, Pope Francis, those who are big supporters of Pope Francis, are accelerating the direction, what they he calls the direction of the church to come, which does not include the traditional Latin Mass. So we're going to run that clip, and we'll talk about what Cardinal Supich is up to. And then we'll also talk about this breaking news that came out today. This is very sad. This is in England. Cardinal Nichols has uh, decreed that there'll be no more traditional pre-1971 confirmation. So you remember the other day I was talking about the Alapa, how people got the Alapa, the slap in the old days. Uh, that old ritual will no longer be allowed in England. All right, well, let's pray. We'll pray the Our Father and get right into this news and analysis. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, Sanctificetur Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et demite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amano. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, let's run this clip. This is Archbishop Roche. I've actually met Archbishop Roche personally. Um, was in a meeting with him with seminarians uh, probably sometime in, I believe, 2017, around there. So uh, here's the clip, and I'll cue it up. Listen carefully to what he says. Certainly Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI and now Pope Francis have seen that those people who cannot move forward with the reformed liturgy are catered for in some, in some regard. However, Traditiones Custodes is not only about uh, conceding the pastoral care to those who find it very difficult. It's also saying this is the direction that the church has set and this is the direction in which we are moving. What was clearly the case from the questionnaire that the Holy Father put out? I just want to pause here. This is the direction that the Holy Father in the church is moving. What is that direction? Suppression of the traditional Latin Mass and the other seven sacraments. Do you understand this? They're actually telling it to us, to our faces. There's no conspiracy here. They're telling you. And when you look at the practice of Cardinal Supich in Chicago, you look at Cardinal Nichols at Westminster, London, it is in our face. 
They are not hiding it. Through the congregation of the doctrine of Back the faith. It, it was clearly the case from the questionnaire that the Holy Father put out through the congregation of the doctrine of the faith was that this was not simply now caring for those who found it difficult, but this was actually promoting the liturgy that existed before the council. Did you hear that? That's important. He was saying, you know, it became clear to Francis, to himself, to others, that this wasn't just accommodating pastorally people who couldn't move on. You know, and they always like to make it sound like it's a bunch of elderly people who loved the old ways of their youth. When in fact, the audience, the movement is very young. Very young. For example, people who watch this podcast, Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast, the, at the highest age demographic is 1834 with 25 to 34 years of age, male being the number one demographic. So people who are thinking like this, praying like this, finding churches like this, are not people who are from the old days, pre-Vatican II, that can't move on. This is an entirely new generation of people who were born, conceived and born after Vatican II, after the Novus Ordo in 1970, after the new confirmation right in 1971. This is what scares them. Because for a long time, they could say, well, these are just older people who can't let go of the past. Listen to what they're saying. The liturgy that existed before the council was actually caring for those who found it difficult. But this was actually promoting the liturgy that existed before the council. Okay, so the problem for Archbishop Roth and Roche and for Pope Francis is that they, if as long as it's pastoral and they're accommodating people who want the old things, fine. But then they realize this is actually promoting the liturgy as it was before the Second Vatican Council. To them, they're fine if it's just a caretaker movement. We're just going to watch over these people until they can finally move on. You know, they're you know, maybe they're just elderly or they're stuck in their ways. So we're going to go ahead and be nice to them. But once it starts to promote and expand the traditional Latin Mass, traditional Roman baptism, traditional Roman confirmation, all the way down the sacraments, the breviary, traditional monastic orders, traditional nuns, traditional everything, traditional marriage, now it must be stopped. We continue. I queue back up. In reality, the negative reaction to Traditionis Custodis has been very little. So here's my question. If the reaction to Traditionis Custodis, which is the motu proprio Pope Francis restricting the traditional Latin Mass, why are they talking about it every week? Why is Archbishop Roche spending time to make public videos discussing it with everything going on in the church why is the Pope writing motu proprios, preaching on it, including it in his messages? And why is Archbishop Roque, the prefect, 
of the Congregation for Divine Worship. Why is Archbishop Roche creating video responses to the movement, to the promotion of the traditional Latin Mass? We all know the answer. Of course, there's been a lot of blustering on the blogs, and uh, it, it's, it's quite shameful. So a lot of blustering on the blogs. I think he probably means YouTube, podcast. I mean, blogs are very... 2000, aughts, the aughts. And if there hasn't been a lot of response, well, I guess what he's saying is there's not a lot of response to it in the world, but it's just these doggone bloggers, the blustering on the blogs. They care, they listen, or else he wouldn't be making a response video. So blustering on the blogs. And uh, it, it's, it's quite shameful. Some of the uh, points that are being made against the Holy Father Pope Francis, whose duty it is to preserve the unity of the church. And it is the Holy Father's duty to preserve the dogma, the faith, the morality of the church, not just the unity. Am I right? Leave a comment. Is to preserve the unity of the church. The vast majority of bishops of the world, they've both greeted the Pope's call back to the council and also to the unity of the church with open arms and are very much behind what the Holy Father is saying. The vast majority of bishops at one time were Arians. It's not an argument for the truth. I'll tell you this, that if people don't take what the... This is my favorite part of the video. This is where he gets serious. I'll tell you this, that if people don't take what the successor of Peter, who has the keys to bind and to loose, if they don't take seriously what he, after having received from the Second Vatican Council the mandate to do what we are presently doing, then that is a... Wait, there was a mandate to do what you're doing right now? to do what we are presently doing, then that is a very serious decision that people are making. And if that forms division and creates disharmony, that is a very, very serious matter. Now, here's the problem with the Novus Ordo theology. He's saying, look, if you're resisting the Pope, Pope Francis's call to remove eradicate traditional Latin Mass and traditional sacraments throughout the world, if you're resisting that, that is a very serious thing. He uses the word serious. It's very serious. I want to know how serious it is, Archbishop Roche, Your Excellency. I would like to hear, if it's so serious, I would like to hear you or Pope Francis say that we are in schism. We are in heresy. We are excommunicated. We are damned. But no. They won't use the language of Catholic prelates because they subscribe to the documents of Vatican II. All they can do is wag their finger and say, that is very serious indeed. Very serious. How serious is it? How serious? Is that the only thing you have to say to traditionalists who beg you 
who pray for you. May we have the traditional Latin Mass. May my baby be baptized in the old Roman way. Can my 13-year-old son get confirmation in the traditional form? We hear you say no. And so if we continue to desire it, continue to promote it, continue to grow it, he says that's very serious indeed. That's Novus Ordo talk. We don't like it at all. Listen to him. Loose. If they don't take, take what the successor of Peter... I'll tell you this, that if people don't take what the successor of Peter, who has the keys to bind and to loose, if they don't take seriously what he, after having received from the Second Vatican Council the mandate to do what we are presently doing, then that is a very serious decision that people are making. And if that forms division and creates disharmony, that is a very, very serious matter. Okay, let's flip the script. Who started the division and the disharmony? For centuries, Catholics were going to Mass, the traditional Latin Mass. The priest was, as these Novus Ordo people accuse us, facing the wall at Orientum instead of facing the people in Latin, traditional Latin Mass, traditional sacraments. It was the semi-modernist who came in and said, no, 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 we got to change all seven sacraments. All seven. Well, I mean... Aren't they good enough? Aren't they orthodox? Aren't they? Well, it's a modern time and we need a modern ritual, modern liturgy. So scrap all the old stuff. We're going to come up with seven new liturgies, seven new rituals for the sacraments. You know what? While we're at it, let's create a new exorcism. Let's create the liturgy of the hours, a new brief. Let's create everything new. Now ask yourself, who is the one who created disharmony and division? If I have uh, a family dinner and I say um, we're having fried chicken and mashed potatoes and biscuits and I get everybody pumped up about it, or maybe that's what we'd always do on one of my kids' birthdays and we always do it. And then one day I say, well, now we're going to change all that. There's going to be a little belly aching if I try to change or remix family customs, family traditions, things that my family have come to expect from me. I can't turn around and say, why are y'all creating those divisions? I can be disappointed. I can have a family talk, a family meeting or something like that. But the crisis, the confusion... The questions that come from my family arise from a decision that I on high made over the family. It's gaslighting to then point and say, why are you causing division? It's very confusing for a Catholic layman, especially a Catholic child, to say, well, before Vatican II, you could definitely not eat meat on Fridays. And after you could, it seems arbitrary. doesn't make sense. Before Vatican II, nuns wore veils on their heads. And after, they didn't have to. 
That's arbitrary. It, it makes a mockery of what the church is. You know, Thomas Aquinas says, changing laws weakens the perception of people for the authority that gives laws. It could be a good change in the law, but you always have to ask yourself, if you're constantly changing, if it's always a shell game, people eventually are confused, they lose interest, and that's precisely, sadly, that's precisely what we saw in the years and the decades following the 1960s. It's undeniable. And you can go and you can preach that it was a new springtime and a new Pentecost and all this, but it was not. It most certainly was not. You can even canonize every pope since 1958 to make your case. But it's still, sadly, convents empty, closed. Monasteries empty, closed. Seminaries less and less enrollment. Priests, less and less. I think I just read recently that uh, over the past few years, 25% or something like that of Irish priests have died. Still getting older. One-fourth. A lot of the priestly care that people receive now are from priests from the old days. And they haven't been replaced. This is why you hear Cardinal Farrell and others in Rome saying, we need more lay ministry. We just saw Francis Institute uh, lay ministries for men and women, which I totally reject, by the way. I resist to your face, Pope Francis. Uh, instituted ministries of lector, acolyte, and catechist for men and women. That just happened as well. They are recreating, reformulating the look, the feel of Catholicism. And ultimately, they are trying to change what is beneath it all, which is the substance of Catholicism. And we say, we recognize you, we love you, we pray for you. My family prays for the intentions, the holy intentions of the Pope. And we pray with the Pope every night after rosary. We also pray for Biden. We love you, we respect you, we obey you, but in these things, we resist you. That language comes from Galatians chapter 2. Paul resisting Peter to his face. This is Catholicism. Thomas Aquinas talks about how an inferior in the church, like me, just a layman, a dad with a webcam, I can resist higher authority. I must be very careful. I must pray about it. I must fast about it. I must seek counsel. I must read books. I must search my conscience before God. Ask the Holy Ghost to illuminate me. But doing those things, the destruction of the church, the destruction of the liturgy, the destruction of faith, turning the church into an ecumenical movement that is essentially just a chaplain to the UN. It must be resisted. Souls are on the line. And I won't stop short, like Archbishop Roach says, it's a very serious matter. I will take the next step and say, it is so serious that we are jeopardizing our immortal souls. The souls of our children, the souls of our grandchildren people who are coming to the church 
to find salvation and not just salvation from hell, but to find sanctity, to become saints and conform to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, to enter into the beatific vision of the Holy Trinity, the divine substance forever and ever. That's what Christ died on the cross to achieve. That is why the holy sacrifice of the Mass is one in the same sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When he died on Good Friday in AD 33, the sacrifice of the Mass is one in the same as that event. So to be willy-nilly and to have jokes and balloons and people dancing and twirling around with the offertory gifts, people, lay people with unconsecrated hands up on the altar, touching the precious hosts, spilling the sacred blood, goofing around, dressing immodestly, dressing in, in ways that are not appropriate for the Eucharist. Yes, they're standard. That's why the priests wear vestments to show the highest dress in the presence of the most holy Eucharist, who is Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. It's not a joke. It's serious, to use the words of Archbishop Roche. And it's a fact. I know right now there are people watching that say, yeah, but there can be a really reverent Novus Ordo. And yes, I've seen reverent Novus Ordos. But you have to think of it as a movement of what it meant. You see, you can't bring in Pachamamas you can't bring in balloons or Aunt Sally to distribute Holy Communion in a traditional Latin Mass. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work. They know that. To bring in this false eminence, this false ecumenism, this false idea that God and, and me are just friends and that sin doesn't matter, everybody just needs a hug, Let's all hold hands. They know that that worldview, which is a secular worldview, does not fit with what Archbishop Roach calls the liturgy before the Second Vatican Council. There's a different theology, a different liturgy, a different orthodoxy. Also, you can invite a Protestant to a Novus Ordo, and it's not that offensive. It's not that weird. It's just sort of like holding hands at the Our Father, and people can go up and smile at the Eucharistic ministers and put their hands out and get the host in their hand. And the priest is, is sort of a, a kind uncle, friendly, and telling a few jokes at the opening, at the sermon, and then at the end. But you take them to a traditional... Latin Mass, and I'm like, what is going on here? This is a sacrifice. There's incense. This priest is, is broken off from the people. He's up high on an altar, a high altar. Only he touches the Eucharist. Altar boys are holding gold plates underneath people's jaws as they open their mouths and receive the God of the universe, the Logos. It's shocking. Same thing if you went to an Eastern Rite, Divine Liturgy. 
does not compute with Protestantism, Lutheranism, Presbyterianism, Baptists, Bible Church, Community Church, all these places. You can't get those two things to fit because it's stressing, it's magnifying the sacrifice, the oblation of Jesus Christ on the cross, offering himself in full obedience to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Same thing with baptism. Protestant can come to a Novus Ordo baptism and smile and chuckle as the deacon or priest says the cutesy things and does the right. But you go to a traditional Roman rite baptism and they're like driving out devils. Putting consecrated salt on the tongue of the baby. Spittle on the baby. I mean, it's a different thing. It's Catholicism. Yeah, but Taylor, things are, the world's changed. We've been through the moon. We have TVs. Yeah, it's a modern world, but the faith never changes. Otherwise, we got to change the liturgy, not just once in the 1960s and 70s. We should probably change them up again. I mean, where does it end? Is it every 50 years as the world changes? Now we have iPhones. Now we have Facebook. Now we have NFTs. So now we got to change the liturgy again 50 years later. Where does that end? Is there any continuity in the Roman Rite? We're just traditional Catholics. We're just saying, let's just keep it as it is. Steady as she goes. Isn't that what nautical sailors say, Captain? Steady as she goes. Be a good t-shirt, Latin Mass. Steady as she goes. Let's just keep it steady as she goes. You would think as the world is changing with technology and television and travels and jets and moons, if we got to the moon, all these things, that the church should be an anchor. The church should stay steady, unmoving. It shouldn't be flipping and flopping with culture, with society. I don't want my church to look like a modern museum, like the Guggenheim or something. I want my church to look like the cathedral at Cologne or Notre Dame in Paris. Steady as she goes. Steady as she goes. So this is a video just to recommit to resistance towards unnecessary, unhelpful, and confusing change. That David Bowie song, ch 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 changes No, I don't want that. I don't want David Bowie ch-ch-changes for the divine liturgy, the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. Can we start saying that again? Can we start saying most holy sacrifice of the Mass? You know, I did a poll on Twitter. What is more important what is the highest, the chiefest element in the Mass? Is it being present for the object, objective sacrifice of Jesus Christ? 
in the canon, the Roman canon, or is it receiving Holy Communion? Ask yourself that right now. What is Both of them are important. I'm not saying one's good and one's bad. Don't hear me that. Which is the most important? Being in attendance, in observing the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the offering of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, or receiving Holy Communion. My guess is, if you're a traditional Catholic or were born before Vatican II, you would have picked A. You would have said, being in the presence, witnessing the objective sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. If you were born after Vatican II or you were formed in Vatican II catechesis, I suspect you said receiving Holy Communion. But traditionally, in the early church and in the scholastic St. Thomas Aquinas, it's being present at the objective sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. How do we know that? Well, the church requires you and me to be at the Mass, present physically, on 52 Sundays of the year and for the holy days of obligation, six or so, depending on where you live. You have to be at Mass. You do not have to receive communion. But you have to be present to offer your worship in and through Jesus Christ to the Father in the Mass. You see, it's not about getting something that's the most important. It's about giving something that's the most important. You know, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, they can try to lift up praises to oh God. But we are too weak. We're finite. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, consubstantial with the Father, hypostatic union between his divine nature and his human nature, only he can lift up the, divine, the praises of mankind to that divine level. That's why the perfect worship is the Mass. It's not a P&W praise and worship concert. It's entering into the sacrifice of Christ, the perfect obedience and praise of Christ on the cross to the Father. That's, that's it. And, thanks be to God in his wisdom, he also communicates his grace after that event through Holy Communion, through the Holy Eucharist. It's beautiful. We have both. But the church only requires you to receive communion one time per year during Easter. So we have to be present for the sacrifice, 52 Sundays plus holy, holy Days of Obligation. So, you know, say 58 about times, we're required to be present for the objective sacrifice of the Mass. But we're only required one time to receive Holy Communion, and that's at Easter time. The idea here is that giving worship to God through the sacrifice of Christ is how we sanctify the Lord's Day. It's how we sanctify the Sabbath, is entering into the movement and the action of Jesus Christ in his sacrifice to the Father. You know, like that's why they put that one drop of water into the chalice with the wine at the offertory. One drop. That symbolizes us. Humanity entering into the sacrifice, into the oblation of Jesus Christ. 
And it's our worship of God, our sacrifice, entering into that sacrifice, that my sacrifice and yours, as the priest says, would be given to the Father. The traditional Latin Mass highlights that. It emphasizes that. The Novus Ordo Mass emphasizes community, being in a circular uh, shape, the priest facing the people, eminence, and holding hands, that communal feeling. It's a group hug. And then receiving Eucharist. People, I mean, in the Novus Ordo, if you weren't going to receive the Eucharist, why would you even go to Mass? And then you hear people say, well, I know there's so much liturgical abuse and Eucharistic abuse, but at least it's valid so I can receive communion. And that right there is missing the point. Receiving communion is secondary. What's primary is offering a perfect act of worship to God. So one is God-centered and one is man-centered. Do y'all understand? Does that make sense? Is this new to you or is, is this old hat to you? Leave a comment, either in the live chat or below after the video is over. And while we're at it, please like the video with a thumbs up, share it on Facebook, and subscribe to this YouTube channel. You can do that in the bottom right corner and make sure you click that bell. And uh, when you click the bell, you'll be notified whenever I go live. So does that make sense? The differences here? And Archbishop Roche's answer video, the, the one that I just played, this one. And if you're joining us late, you can go back to the beginning of this video and listen to the whole thing. It, it is what I would call a self-own. Archbishop Roche is saying that the Mass as was celebrated before the Council is not providing the direction that Pope Francis wants to go. So what that shows us is, is that the pre-conciliar, the pre-Vatican II way of being Catholic is not the direction that Francis wants to go in the way that Archbishop Roche wants to go. It's a self-own. It's a self-confession. And you may say, yeah, but Taylor, he's the Pope. Popes, as taught by Vatican I, have supreme jurisdiction over the whole, whole church. We owe obedience to the Roman pontiff. I submit myself and am obedient to the Roman pontiff. And they are infallible in faith and morals when they speak ex cathedra. Francis has never, thankfully, Francis has never spoken ex cathedra. So anything he said regarding faith or morals does not have the charism or the guarantee of infallibility. When it comes to his jurisdiction as the Supreme Pontiff, as the Roman Pontiff, we owe religious assent, not assent of faith. I've covered this before. Religious assent that everything that comes from the Pope or from the Roman Curia, we owe religious assent. And I give religious assent. Except there are cases where there is confusion, problems, or error. And yes, there can be errors or mistakes that have to be addressed. The classic example of this is Galatians 2, where St. Paul had to resist Peter. I believe that the Holy Ghost kept that incident in sacred scripture just so that we know throughout time 
there are rare occasions in which resistance is required. Again, we must pray about it. We must fast about it. We must do penance. Serious thing, as Archbishop Roche says. It's pretty serious for me to get on YouTube in front of a thousand plus people and say these things, isn't it? It's very serious, but I feel confident about it. My conscience at night is clear before God. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ, second person in the Trinity, wants the Roman rite restored. I truly believe that. I truly believe that right now in the last several decades that our Lord Jesus Christ is not pleased with the direction of his bride, the Catholic Church. And by that I mean the hierarchy leadership and not the actual bride. Sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way. Let me re-say it. I believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is not happy and is not pleased with the direction of the leadership, the bishops, the cardinals, and the popes of the last several decades. There's good things in there. I'm not condemning the whole thing. But I'm saying we are living in a time of decline in faith. It feels like a increase in apostasy, an increase in confusion and idolatry and heresy. And I'm convinced of that. My conscience is clean. I am convinced of that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. All right. And part of that reality is praying not only for your enemies, but praying for those who have authority over you, your parents, your bosses, your governors, your mayors, your civic leaders, who are in error, who need our prayers, who need grace. So we're going to pray a Hail Mary for Pope Francis and Archbishop Roche and Cardinal Supich and Cardinal Nichols. Oremus. Nomini Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in molieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Fidi et Spiritui Santo, sicuterat in principio et nunc et semper, in secula seculorum. Amen. Almighty God, we turn to you and we ask that you would send your Holy Ghost to purify your church, purify our hearts, our minds, protect our children, our parents, our family, our friends, and make the Catholic Church beautiful and draw all nations to yourself. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. And remember, one of the most important things you can do is, drumroll please, Pray the rosary every day. It's so essential that we pray the most holy rosary. It is Bible on beads. It is reciting the Our Father, which we need to do multiple times a day. The rosary helps us pray the Our Father every day. And the angelic salutation, the Hail Mary, praying it several times a day, remembering that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Blessed is the fruit of her womb, Jesus Christ. This is the reality that needs to be repeated and echoed throughout the day. So pray the rosary every day or you're not on the team. What else? 
Um, be doing a rosary giveaway. That'll be for everyone who is a generous patron at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. Also, I've invited many of you to read the Bible in a year, and I have recorded, or not recorded, I have uploaded files for you to listen to the Dewey Rames traditional version of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul's epistles, the Psalms, and other books, um, all available over at patreon.com. So if you want access to those things, so you can listen to the Bible in English and the Dewey Rames translation, uh, you can get that. If you're a patron over at patreon.com, plus you can get signed books and other cool things. So uh, if you want to get to the next level and maybe take some online courses at New St. Thomas Institute, etc., go to patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall and learn more over there. All right, friends. Well, thanks for watching. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. Um, I'll also be sharing a um, an interesting episode from the early life of Pope Francis that I recently discovered, and I think it will help us all understand where Pope Francis is coming from. So uh, make sure you're subscribed and you hit the bell so you'll be notified when I share that as well. All right, God bless and Godspeed.